Well, friends, welcome to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Church here in Inverell. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 6th of March. Uh, friends, my name's Matt. It's wonderful that you're choosing to join us. Uh, friends, our sentence of scripture for today comes from Psalm 91, and it says, When you call to me, says the Lord, I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you and honour you. Well, friends, those are great words of comfort. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the meaning of your son's death and resurrection and teach us to reflect on it with our lives. Father, grant this through the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, now we go to a time of praise.
secure trust in his love never alone christ is with us he's with us Friends, now we come to the ministry of God's Word. Uh, you might like to grab your Bibles. Uh, our readings for today are from, first of all, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. That's our Old Testament reading. Our psalm for the day is Psalm 91. And our New Testament gospel reading is from Luke 4, verses 1 to 13. Uh, friends, take a moment, especially read the New Testament reading. And once you've done that, we'll come back and we'll spend some time thinking about it together. Friends, let's pray as we come to hear God's word together now. Our Lord God, uh, please help us to hear you speak clearly. Help us to see your son, Jesus, in all his faithfulness. And Father, respond to it in the way we need to. Amen. I'd believe in God if he'd just show up and make himself known. I wonder if you've ever heard that before. Maybe you're the person who said it at some point. I'd believe in God if he'd show up and make himself known. I've heard many people say that. I've heard kids in youth groups say that. I've heard grown adults in the city say that. At the heart of the question is, is God there? Is God real? It's a genuine question worth asking. Uh, but if, if God is there, what does that mean? Well, if he did all of a sudden show up, I think we'd pretty quickly acknowledge that something needs to change. If there is a loving creator of not just us, but the universe, then we'd quickly recognize that our lives belong to him. And I know that many of you watching who are tuning in absolutely believe that in your heart. You have no doubt that there is a God, that he is present. But if that's right, and there is a, a creator and a ruler who we belong to, what does it look like for us to live faithfully before him? Well, the answer... My friends, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so come with me through Luke 4 today and we'll see what that actually looks like. And as we go through, we'll see Jesus' faithfulness be put to the test. All right, so friends, today we're jumping back two chapters uh, in Luke from where we were last week. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' sermon on the plain, right? In Luke chapter 6, some of his public word ministry. But today we jump back to before that's even started. Now, in chapter 3, just before this, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Uh, and look at it with me. Chapter 3, verse 22, we hear a voice from heaven call out, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Well, then Luke has this little, little interlude here. Where he traces Jesus' family genealogy. Verse 3, he traces Jesus' line all the way back through his adopted father, Joseph, through King David, through Boaz, right? There's a name I like. Back through Judah, Abraham, even Noah, all the way back to Adam, and then finally back to God himself. And in this, Luke is identifying Jesus with all of humanity, all the way back to Adam, right back to the start. And so now as we get to chapter 4, here's our passage. And now the first thing we see here is that Jesus is faithful to God's word and not his own desires. 
verse 1. Have a look at it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Friends, reading this, you might stop and think, what on earth is going on here? Why is Jesus going into the desert to be tempted by the devil? It just seems so bizarre. Now, there's a few things to comment on here. First of all, friends, this is the first time, chronologically speaking, that we see, G- that we see the devil appear in the New Testament. He's the same figure as the Satan of the Old Testament, and his name literally means the accuser. And so in the Old Testament, whenever we see him, he's always accusing God's people and seeking to lead them astray. And so just like Adam, right, who's just been mentioned above, Jesus too has the devil in his ear. But he's not in the garden anymore like Adam, no. Instead, he's out in the wilderness. And I think this perfectly captures life outside the garden, a life under a curse, life in a fallen world. This is the world that we all now inhabit. And so the question is, how will Jesus respond to the devil? Will he listen to him like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Or will he succeed where Adam fell? That's the question. Now, I think the devil's greatest lie, at least in Western society, his greatest lie is that he doesn't exist. But make no mistake, here he is. Uh, Second thing, this isn't, this isn't some random encounter that happens by chance outside of God's plan. Right? Why is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? What's verse 1 say? Because he was being led by the Holy Spirit. This face-off that's about to go down between Jesus and the devil, it was ordained by God. So what happens? Well, read verses 2 and 3 with me. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. Too right he was. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's important to see here that Luke is highlighting Jesus' humanity. Yeah, at his baptism we know, God, the voice from heaven, said, You are my Son. We see Jesus' divinity. But here, Luke emphasizes his humanity. Uh, He is the the incarnation of the eternal son, but he's also fully human. And we see that clearly uh, in his hunger. He didn't eat for 40 days. Yeah, he's definitely hungry. I mean, scientists and doctors think that at a maximum you can live between one and two months with little to no food. Uh, There's a show on the SBS that I've I've watched in the past. I like it. It's called Alone, where a bunch of guys go out by themselves and see how long they can last. And it's fascinating to see what it does to people when they've got uh, no little to no food, what it does to their bodies, what it does to their minds. I think to say that Jesus is hungry, like it's an understatement, isn't it? Starving, malnourished, ravenous. That's what Jesus is feeling. And so what does the devil do? Well, he attacks Jesus right at his weakest point. Verse 3. If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Well, at this point, Jesus' stomach is aching, right? It's twisting. And like Adam in the garden, he's, he too is yearning for some delish, something delicious to fill his stomach with. 
And now the fact that the fact that this is even a temptation for, temptation for Jesus, it says something pretty amazing about him. All right, when I'm hungry, it's not a temptation for me to turn stones into bread. I can't do that. But for Jesus, the Son of God, who's taken on full human likeness, the temptation and possibility to turn stones into bread, it's just as real as that gut-wrenching hunger that he's feeling in the moment. But instead of giving in to the devil's temptations, what does he do? Well, he quotes scripture. Have a look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, let's just pause here for a minute because there's another connection that we're meant to be seeing. Uh, thinking about this whole situation, Jesus being out in the, in the wilderness to be tempted for a period of 40. I mean, our minds should click and go, yeah, hey, hey, that sounds familiar. And then we go, actually, you know what? This sounds like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, being in the desert, the wilderness there. And then we think, hang on, yeah, yeah. Their problem was that they were hungry too. And we're meant to see that. We're meant to see Jesus not only being identified with Adam, with all of humanity, but with Israel, with God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Now, the scriptures that Jesus uses to answer the devil, they come from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a time when Israel, they were still in the wilderness, waiting to enter the promised land. And here's the situation. The people, uh, it looks back to where the people are in the desert. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. Go back and have a look at it in your own time. Uh, Exodus 16. The people are grumbling to God after they've come out of Egypt. They're hungry. And God was merciful to feed them. He gave them manna, bread from heaven. But even in the way that they received this manna, it was an exercise of trust to see if continually, day after day, they would listen to the word of God. And in Deuteronomy 8 there, Moses again reminds them that this is something, there's something more fundamental to our lives than bread. The thing they, the thing we need to realize is that life, the thing we really need for life, well, it's to listen to the word of God. Let me read to you all the verse uh, that Jesus mentions in Deuteronomy 8. 8 verse 3, Moses says, He, that's God, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus was out in the desert, uh, fasting by God's leading. And so the question, well, will he be a faithful son now or will he be a rebellious son like Israel and go their own way? No, Jesus is faithful to God's word. And unlike Israel in the wilderness, he gets, he gets that. He gets that there's something more fundamental about our, to our life than just sustenance for our body or any physical need. Most of all, we are dependent on God and his sustaining word. And Jesus knows this. And so he's able to trust God with the rest. My friends, is that how we see things? Do we see that God's word is as vital for our spiritual life as nutrition is for our physical need? Well, how would you describe someone who 
who, let's say, only ate a meal one, two or three times in a week? How would you describe them? Well, you'd probably say that they're starving, they're malnourished. Now, if Jesus says that the word of God is the most important diet for our lives, how would you describe yourself? If, friends, if your only spiritual input is on a Sunday here at church or in Bible study groups during the week, then you're letting yourself be spiritually malnourished. And what does faithfulness before God look like? Well, as we see in Jesus, it starts with our attitude and commitment to his word. Uh, but as we keep going and we get to verses 5 to 8, we see through Jesus again that faithfulness to God also means worshipping him alone and not anything else. Verses 5 to 7, look at them. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, as I take it, when the devil shows him uh, the kingdoms of the world, uh, that this, this isn't a physical experience, but this is a spiritual one. Right? It's a vision. Uh, the same as being next placed on the top of the highest point in the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, the fact that he's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms in an instant, I mean, I think it supports that. And so the temptation here, this time, is for the son, for Jesus, to abandon his mission. Uh, seemingly, before it's even begun, right? Uh, and instead, make an alliance with the devil. I wrestled with this during the week. Uh, is, there, is there something genuine here that the devil's offering, or is it all a lie? Uh, does he actually have the authority of the nations of the world? Now, at the start of the week, uh, I thought this is probably a lie, uh, and there's plenty of Bible commentators who go that way. But I think there is a sense in which what the devil offers, it is legitimate. Uh, I mean, the devil, the devil has real power. Uh, Jesus himself three times in John's gospel, calls him the prince of this world. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, calls him the god of this age. And in Ephesians 2, calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The one at work in the disobedient. Uh, the one who we are following if we're not following Jesus. And so the devil's offer, in one regard, it is legitimate. Uh, he was offering Jesus the allegiance of the nations. And the allegiance of them without the need for the path of suffering that he's taking. No weeping, no pain, no rejection, no crucifixion. He could have the nation's authorities if he just stood with the devil and bowed to him. Shortcut the process to glory. Forget God. That was the offer in front of Jesus. So how does he respond? Well, as before, again, he quotes scripture to, to the devil. Verse 8, Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, now, Jesus is again quoting from Deuteronomy. Again, these are words to Israel on the verge of entering the promised land. And for the Israelites, the Lord says that he's going to give them an inheritance they're going into a land with so many good things. And with all that insight, with all that on the near horizon, God says, 
Don't forget about me. Don't see all these good things and go after them, but forget the good giver who's provided them. When you get there, if you do that, you'll be distracted and caught up by the false gods and the idols of the people around you. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, unlike Israel, that's what Jesus does. And friends, Satan tempts us to slip into idolatry the same way that he does with Jesus here. I find that someone else can often uh, be much quicker than myself to identify what I'm worshipping with my life. I had this experience the other week. I had a friend, a dear friend, notice uh, something that I had and was commenting on it. And so, of course, I, I told him all about it. It was quite nice. And I told him the lengths I went to to get it. And he said to me, oh, yeah, that is a nice idol, isn't it? Well, he was half speaking in jest, but half speaking in the truth in love. Uh, and yeah, it was a good check for my heart. If someone else was to look at your life, I wonder, what would they say or who would they say you're worshipping? Is it work? Is it something you have, a possession? Is it family? Or is it the easy, comfy Aussie life? I've driven around in Inverell quite a bit recently and I could see a lot of that going on, a lot of people worshipping that. So what does your life say about who or what you worship? And we also need to notice in this temptation that Jesus doesn't rationalise his way out of God's will. He could have said that the ends justifies the means. Since it was God's plan for Jesus to have all the nations under his feet, what does it matter how that came about? No, he doesn't rationalise like that. And we also need to be careful that we don't rationalise sin in our own life. God wants me to be happy. What does it matter who I'm happy with? And God wants me to provide for my family. I mean, that'll be a lot easier if I just fudge some of the numbers on a customer's invoice, on the numbers that the tax office gets. Well, the goal of the Christian life is to get to heaven... What does it matter how we get there? What does it matter if I support the voluntary assisted dying bill for myself or someone else? No. Jesus avoids that kind of ends justifies the means rationalizing way of thinking. He doesn't listen to the devil as the devil tempts him away from God's will. He doesn't worship lesser things. Jesus is faithful to worship God alone. And now as we get to verses 9 to 13... We see that Jesus' faithfulness means that he will trust God as well, rather than test him. Have a look at verses 9 9 to 11 with me. The devil led him to Jerusalem, and he had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, the devil, he's seen that Jesus is a word of God, man. And so he says, hey, here's some words of God. Why don't you obey these? And he quotes the poetic expression of God's protection from Psalm 91. If you're a God man, Jesus, try him out. If you're a God man, put him to the test. And of course, Jesus replies with scripture, verse 11. It is said, do not put your Lord the God to the test. 
And now, friends, three guesses where he's quoting from. Yeah, it's Deuteronomy again. In fact, it's only three verses on from where he last spoke from. There, Moses says, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Massa? What happened at Massa? All right, here's a little history. Uh, jump back again, Exodus 17, that's what he's referring to. Do it at home. Uh, again, only one chapter on from Exodus 16, where he's talking about the manna, the bread last time. All right, Exodus 17. Just after the Israelites received the manna, right, that we talked about, the bread from heaven, they complained that they were thirsty again as well. And they said, said that God isn't looking out for them. They effectively said, we, we will know that the Lord is among us if he gives us water. We will know if he does this. But then listen uh, to the end of the situation as Moses sums it up. I mean, God directed Moses to strike a rock to bring forth water for them. He showed them that grace. And then in verse 7 of Exodus 17, he, that's Moses, called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? That's what they were saying. And the reply that Jesus gives to Satan here acknowledges that genuine trust in God doesn't demand that he proves himself, but it simply rests in God's care. Now, uh, two things for us on this point. Uh, firstly, don't test the Lord in that way. Don't test his faithfulness with your situation. Uh, I mean, I know of people, even Christians, who effectively... Effect two things to say on this. Uh, firstly, don't test God's faithfulness with your situation. Now, I know people, even Christians, who effectively walk into different situations of life and say, God, I know you care about, I'll know you care about me if this outcome happens. God, I'll know you care if this flood or this drought doesn't ruin me. Don't do that. Testing the Lord like that, it's really just a sign of lacking faith. Now, secondly, Satan loves to use half-truths and twisting the word of God to deceive people. He did it back there in the garden with Adam, and he does it here with Jesus. Now, this twisting also happens as people take verses of scripture out of context, just like this. The devil loves when people do that. Don't do that. And don't listen to the terrible TV pastors on, on a Sunday morning who make a lot of money doing exactly that. Have discerning ears. Instead, know the scriptures. Read them. I read scripture on its own terms, as a whole, unified story that points to Jesus, not my health, wealth, and happy, easy life. How does Jesus defeat Satan here? Well, he equipped himself with the word of God. Satan acknowledges that he's the son of God. Back in chapter 3 of the baptism, the voice from heaven came saying, This is my son. In his divinity, Jesus could have used whatever weapon he wanted to defeat the devil. He could have clicked his fingers and the devil be broken. But friends, notice the weapon Jesus chooses to use. Notice the key to his faithfulness. Well, the Israelites, 
They tested God in the wilderness saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is he among us? Yes, he is. Even more than God's amazing work throughout history to show the Israelites that truth, we have a resounding yes in the person of Jesus. Here he is, the Son of God, God himself, taking on human flesh, coming to earth. Now for the people who we talked about at the start, who say, I'd believe in God if he'd show up and make himself known. Well, here he is, God walking among men. God showing himself to be there, to be the loving ruler of the universe. Now at the start I asked, what would faithfulness to this loving ruler look like? Well, the answer, friends, it's Jesus. Jesus who was faithful and didn't abandon his father's plan and mission for the sake of instant glory. But Jesus who remained faithful, remaining faithful even through a path of suffering, a path of suffering that led him to the cross. And he did that so that our unfaithfulness towards our creator God wouldn't lead to our end. His faithfulness to God in his life and death means that we can have life with God. And friends, since this faithfulness means life for us, let us respond to his grace by seeking to live faithful lives before our God also. And like Jesus, being faithful to the word of God, being faithful to worship God alone, and rather than testing, faithfully trusting him with our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you reveal yourself clearly to us in the pages of scripture. Thank you that you are a loving ruling Lord of the universe and of our lives too. Father, help us to see your son, to see what faithfulness to you looks like and to live that way in response to your love to us. Father, thank you for that love that in our unfaithfulness, Jesus took our place, bearing the punishment for us so that we can stand forgiven before you. Father, help us to live our lives in faithfulness as an act of praise for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for these things you've shown us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, now we come again to another time of praise.
Friends, we come now to a time of prayer. Uh, in a moment, there'll be a blue image. Uh, feel free to pause the video. There'll be some prayer points on that. Spend some time praying for yourselves. Spend some time praying for our church and praying for all the things that are going on in our world around us. Uh, after our next song, there'll also be one final slide. Friends, if you love the Lord, uh, let's praise him with our lives. The way we do that, we praise him with our, our lips, we praise him with our hands, we praise him with all of our lives, and that includes our wallets as well. Uh, friends, let's love the Lord and support our ministry this way. Uh, let's go to a time of praise.